The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. If less than 4% of financial advisors actually apply the 4% rule, is it really a rule? Hi, everyone. Welcome to Retire With Style. I'm Wade. And I'm Alex. And we're here with a recurring guest, Brian Bass. Brian, you want to give a little background about yourself just for folks that are maybe listening to you for the first time? Sure. Um, like Wade said, Alex said, I'm Brian Bass. I'm, I'm one of the lead advisors at uh, McLean Asset Management. Um you know, I, I came to McLean first and foremost because of my uh, my relationship through Wade uh, through the American College. Um, obviously, studying for my CFP and getting my master's and doing the RIC pro, uh, RICP program through uh, American College got to know Wade very well. Um, and that's the the path that kind of led me to to, to McLean. So here we are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Short Happy and sweet. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, to erase all doubt, Brian didn't know me before he got to McLean. Hence. He remained, he came to McLean. But he's still here. How's that, Wade? Yeah, but he's still here. How's that, Wade? You didn't run him off, but... uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, One of the reasons... not yet. Yeah, not yet. Uh, (laughs) Pending, pending. Uh, What was I going to say? One of the reasons we wanted to bring Brian in is because, you know, we've been talking at length about sustainable withdrawal rates. Uh, and specifically the rules-based system. And it even, you know, it has to do with constant spending strategies, but variable spending strategies. Assuming that you fall into the total return preference from the RISA standpoint, you're probability-based and uh, optionality-focused. And so we've been going down this arc about sustainable spending strategies, soup to nuts. But uh, what's missing is really what's the practical application of this? Because I would envision there's a lot of individuals that are listening to this and they may be wondering, okay, I hear this. Now I need to put it in into into use. And so I, I think it, it's a great opportunity to bring in Brian and, and discuss, you know, what happens, you know, uh, step one through step X plus one. What what happens here with, with regards to this process? And uh, Wade, do you want to kick it off? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so we've made the point in the podcast series about how this whole, like, just the simplest example, the 4% rule for retirement spending, it's more of just a theoretical construct that its only use in real life is really to maybe calibrate expectations a little bit about what's reasonable. But whenever you look at any real world financial plan, uh, Brian, do you <laughs> apply the the four percent rule or some sort of variant of that, or is there really a different approach than even talking about what is the safe withdrawal rate for retirement? I think that'd be a, a great place to start the conversation. Sure, um, you know we we absolutely use four percent as the starting point. Um, you know the 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 inflation adjusted spending that's where we start our planning process. Um, obviously, there's a thousand variables and a thousand different directions to drill down into that. Um, but for us, it's really a feasibility check, you know, is we start with the client spending, you know, what are you, what are you spending currently? What does your retirement goal look like? Um, if we take that and plug it into the system and, and run it out at 4%, um, inflation adjusted every single year, does it work? Yes, no. Okay, great. Now we start to really drill down into the, into the questions of, you know, the different ways we can go with, with structuring the, the investment portfolio or even really, you know, the retirement income plan itself, um, but as far as, as, a, as a realistic way to manage money and manage um, retirement, really the 4% rule doesn't have a whole lot of, of legs. Um, it really is more of just, um, for me anyway, is a feasibility check of how do we, how do we start this conversation. And you're, you're saying 4% rule, but I, 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 I just think you're, you're kind of grouping all sort of distribution rules in, into this bucket. Uh, a little bit, a little bit, um, you know, whether it's guardrails, whether it's the spending smile, whether it's, you know, any of the, the, the things that have been done on the academic side, um, 
in reality, the the day to day management of a of a retirement, you know, when you create an income for someone, you would create an income plan for someone. Unless people are just really, really like to get down into the weeds of, of what's going on, no one really wants to think about that. Um, you know, uh, especially, yeah, I have to go to someone and say, okay, well, we had a bad year in markets. Let's, uh, you know, we're gonna have to reduce your spending this year by twenty percent. You know, a lot of people have have kind of benchmarked themselves to the spending of last year and this year and, and the years before, and they don't necessarily want to think about taking a, a spending hit. Um, and so we have to manage that. We have to go into the educational piece up front of, you know, these are the realities of this, this strategy. Um, you know, some years you're going to get a bonus. Would that make you happy? Would make you, you know, would a 20% bump in your income make you happier? Um, or would you feel worse about the 20% cutback we have to take when markets don't do well? So it, it's a lot of conversation. It's a lot of education on the strategy itself and what that really means. Um, and a lot of times people just don't necessarily want to deal with that. Okay. So it, it seems to me then you use these spending rules as that starting point, as you said, as that starting point for the plan. It, it's almost like you have to pick a number to begin with. And so you, you can ask the person, how much do you want to spend? But it, I, I would imagine folks have trouble quantifying that. And so you just take sure. their portfolio value and you, you just arbitrarily say, okay, what's 4% of that? And let's say if we can even, let's see if we can even spend from that. And, and, and to me, you're, you're uh, I'm putting words in your mouth because I'm trying to interpret it. So please uh, correct me here. What you're, you're, that gives you that initial baseline, and from there the planning starts. But I don't, I, I, I don't get the sense you're thinking. Okay, it's this is the first year, and then in the plan I'm gonna, you know, adjust it based on the market and et cetera, et cetera, and and, and do all these mathematical calisthenics around what the distribution is going to be in year two, three, four, and five. It, it's really more planning focus. You kind of contextualize the distribution relative to what they want to accomplish in the plan. That's that's a lot that I put out there, and I want to make sure I'm being accurate, at least directionally. No, I think that's accurate. Um, we do illustrate the 4% rule. So we do illustrate, you know, the, the spend goes up every single year by 4% from the baseline at the beginning. Um, and we show them, you know, obviously in year 10, 20, 30, the, the number is very, very big relative to where we started. Um, and that all kind of plays back into the, the stochastic modeling of, you know, we know we're going to get in our plans. We build out a specific investment portfolio. We know the risk and return, and we kind of plug that in and play with, you know, the variability of, of the return streams. Um, and does that make sense? Cause I don't want to say it's the worst case scenario, but from a spending perspective, that the, the slope of that line stays consistent at the 4%. Um, and it gives us a, it does give us a baseline of, is this even possible? Um, you know, and two, going back to the original conversations, you know, the, it usually goes one or two ways. It, it says, okay, here's my portfolio. What can I spend? Or here's what I'm doing right now. Here's my budget. This is what I'm spending a year. I want to kind of stay, you know, around this number. This is kind of where we've built our, our happy retirement place. Is this feasible for the next 25 years, 30 years, whatever the case may be? Um, and those two conversations obviously go very differently. So the ones that come to us with a portfolio says, what can I do? The, the 4% rule is kind of where we start. Yeah, that, that's an important point as well, this idea that do individuals really have an idea about their retirement budget when they come in to talk with you? And do you have a sense of how common it is to have the budget in place and therefore you can use that as a starting point? Or is it more the question, how much can I spend in retirement? And then you could say, well, 4% of your uh, investment portfolio is this. How does that sound to you? <laughs> and is that something you can work with? Uh, how do those conversations generally go in practice? It's a mixed bag. Um, the people that are closer to retirement or the ones that have already entered retirement um, kind of have a general idea and can do a little bit better job of providing a budget to us. Um, the ones that are 10, 15 years out really have no idea. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we kind of what we kind of do on that front is look through and it's and it's a great exercise for them too. Is encourage them to kind of put together the the last twelve months of spending and see what the see what the actual outflows look like, and then categorize those and see you know what opportunities we have to let some of those expenses fall off. Um, obviously, as kids get older and they get through school and they get through college, you know there are a lot of things that fall out of the budget um, that we know won't be around in retirement. So we can kind of spitball and and put together kind of a really loose um, idea of what retirement could look like. Um, some people like to go that route. Other people say, you know, I want to spend $200,000 a year plus tax or $250,000 a year. Um, and we can kind of 
back our way into you know where you are now what is the savings goal um, and something you've done a lot of work on is the safe savings rate plans um, and figure out and help them to figure out the way to get to that you know ultimately it's not about the the, the beginning value of the portfolio so much as it is um, just creating a plan to get to that point where we know we have you know, income streams that we can turn on in retirement so so wait, this uh, he said something that that struck me. I don't know if it hit you while he was saying that, but this falls in line with our research that we've done recently, which I, to me, I, I never, I, I didn't really expect it. And this uh, this has to do with expectations of what a retirement income amount will be, and I think the the anxiety that follows through with that. In in our research, Brian, uh, we. We look at, you know, how anxious you are about your retirement spending. You know, do you think it's going to are you going to outlive your assets, that kind of thing? And uh, we, we come up with a, a longevity aversion score, if you will. And and wait, you know, remember how the, it was actually the younger folks or the folks that were further away from retirement were more anxious about this than the folks that were nearing retirement. And I think. It, it you know and, and I, I'm hearing this from from Brian as well anecdotally. Would you agree with that? I, I, it seems to me once they they start in that retirement phase, reality hits, and obviously it is what it is. And so this acceptance comes into place, and they kind of back into well, this is the standard of living that I can do, and this is how it it turns out. Whereas if you're younger, that fear, that unknown, is actually quite accentuated is i'm getting that sense from you in terms of what you're saying yeah i think you do see that a lot even our friend of the retirement research community fritz uh, has that he had a really interesting blog post about this whole concept of when you're still pre-retirement you're you're not sure what to expect and you're more concerned but when you actually get to retirement suddenly it does look like things are going to work out okay and so maybe that longevity risk aversion, that idea of I'm worried about outliving my money starts to subside a little bit. Uh, but I know, Brian, I don't know, that might apply in some cases, but probably there's still maybe a, a group of people who, well, academics call it the retirement consumption puzzle. It's people don't seem to spend as much as they could in retirement. And it's not clear why that's the case. Uh, it might be partly, well, with retirement styles, it might be they're using a total return strategy when it wasn't the right one for them, and therefore they're very, they continue to be worried about outliving their money and so forth. But, but do you see that? Are, are there cases where, where, or maybe what's, what's kind of the more common scenario? You have to talk the client out of spending too much because it looks like they are on an unsustainable path, or the opposite, the, they're not spending. And even with very conservative assumptions for the plan, it looks like they could be spending more than they are. And you're trying to give them the okay to go ahead and, and spend more. Do you uh, kind of have a sense of how that plays out in practice? So we actually recently had a, a client meeting where we went to them and said, you know, you're, we, we've used really, really, really conservative numbers in your plan, you know, extended longevity. We've covered all your bases. We have everything checked in this, we have every box checked in this plan. And, you know, the success rate is, is forecasted a hundred percent. Um, and we said, you know what, you can spend an X dollars more than you already currently are every single year for the rest of your life or, or for the rest of the duration of this plan. And everything is going to be completely okay. And they both kind of sat back and we're like, you know, our lifestyle is what it is. Like, we're very happy. We don't feel like we need anything. Um, we don't, we don't want to do that. You know, we're fine. Um, and then we kind of shifted gears of that conversation to, okay, fine. You know, if the, if the utility of the next dollar is not, is not high enough to, to make you happier, then let's not spend it. Let's figure out what, what your other goals are for your money. Um, whether it's, you know, bequest, bequest goals or charitable stuff, or, you know, however you, you see using these dollars, let's figure out how to make you happy in that route. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, other than just going out and taking another vacation or buying another car. Um, but there are, are, are absolutely, you know, people on the other side of that spectrum too, where, you know, the, the plan is less than ideal and it, it looks like, you know, we may run short well before we need to, um, you know, and then what are we going to do about that? And it's, it's a lot more challenging to have those conversations when you're 10 years into retirement than it is, you know, 10 years before retirement. Um, you know, but those are the realities of, of the different people that we work with, I guess. 
a, a couple of points from the from the first from the the consumption puzzle, and Wade, uh, you know, jump in here as well. There, uh, while you were saying that, I, I thought of three points that I that I think could be relevant, and they don't all apply to everyone. And I'm curious how you see this. The first one could be maybe it's not a puzzle, Wade. Maybe you know the Reese is relatively new. This retirement income style is relatively new, and maybe they were engaging in a total return approach, right? Which is a credible strategy. I want to start it like that, but. Perhaps their longevity fear is such that it's the just in case. Like, listen, I, I get it. I'm on track and I, I got 100% on my Monte Carlo probability. And incidentally, uh, for our listening audience, that's 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 very difficult to attain. 100% success rate. That's It's very rare. That's it's like, very, very rare to that's see that. It's like you know, nuclear <laughs> scenarios that, that, you're, that you're surviving, you know, if you will. Uh, but, you know, that being the case... That even that doesn't is not good enough for them, and so they they still need that cushion. I would venture to say they're potentially in the wrong strategy. You know, it, it sounds like they would have benefited from uh, like an income protection approach because maybe that's their true retirement income style. I'll get to that later. I don't want to unpack that right now. I just want to point out that's that's a potential there. The other two issues, and I I think the second point that I'm the, the point that I'm about to say is probably relative applies to the, the client that you're speaking about. I know him and he loves fly fishing and, and the like, and he's living the life, but you're creatures of habit. You know, if, if you've accumulated, you know, you know, very uh, meticulously, very uh, disciplined through 40 years of your accumulation phase, it's hard to just turn that off. It, it, it just is. It, it's just hard to turn that off. And so, you know, he's not going to spend just to spend because it just doesn't feel right. So I'm curious how, how much of that dissonance you, you, you experience from people that it hurts them to spend more because it almost seems profligate at, at a certain point, right? The, the other, so there's that, you know, the, the first one being, I don't think I'm in the right strategy. I need to reconcile that. And I know as we've been doing the research, we, we've come across those situations. The other piece is, hey, I'm a, creatures of ha- I'm a creature of habit. It's not longevity aversion. It's just, you know, it's like the movie Brewster's Millions, as I think I said it the other day, where they just they, they can't spend. Uh, the, the other point that I think we come across, and this is uh, Brian Portnoy uh, comes up with this phrase, and, and I love it. I, I've mentioned it on, on previous podcasts. It's the term funded contentment. It's not a behavior thing. It's just, listen, they have enough right now that they can comfortably underwrite their retirement. You know, even within a total return approach, you know, 100% success rate, they can comfortably underwrite their retirement and they're living to the standard of living that 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 accommodates them. And they're done. You know, uh, I, I'm curious what Wade yourself, I'm, I'm curious what you think of those three points. The, they're in the wrong strategy. There's creatures of habits. It's hard to change that behavior because there's this dissonance that takes place. And I, I think that was important, frankly, because you know, they don't, they're not really enjoying their retirement to the fullest. And who am I to say they're enjoying it or not, right? But, you know, objectively, it, it, it's it's not that difficult to make that case. And the other piece is some people just funded content contentment. They're good. Yeah, I think the related analogy there is about the ants and the grasshoppers, too, where if you've been an ant your whole life, which means you're, you're saving and preparing for winter and so forth, uh, traditional retirement advice is telling you to switch and become a grasshopper post-retirement. And if that's not who you are, if you're an ant pre-retirement, you're not going to switch to be a grasshopper and just enjoy life and, and spend profitably and everything else post-retirement. So there there could be an element of that. And yeah, I mean, it's just, we think the more you spend, the happier you'll be. And maybe at some level that's true, but the the marginal <laughs> change in happiness could be so minor or it could just be a hassle. It could actually be negative a utility from spending more that at some point you just, you don't need it. And then that could help to explain the retirement consumption puzzle, or that could just lead to, okay, maybe developing a gifting strategy or thinking about some of those other kind of legacy related comments that you made, Brian, as well as an alternative to just simply spending more and going to the fancier restaurant or whatever it is that causes you to run up the tab on your annual spending bill. Sure. Uh, some of the things, I mean, that we've seen too, as you know, obviously your, your highest earning years are right before retirement. And so mm-hmm. it, 
it's very easy for lifestyle creep to happen in those last five to 10 years. Once the kids are out of the house and all the, you know, those, those expenses really fall out of, of your cash flows. It's very easy to see when people get that lifestyle creep and now they start going out to eat a little bit more and now, you know, they're traveling a little bit more because they have more time. Um, and it's hard because the, if you don't have the assets to continue that lifestyle going into retirement, it's very difficult to put that genie back in the bottle. Um, because it brings in a whole bunch of emotional problems where, you know, you feel like a failure. You feel like things aren't as good as they were when I was working. And mm -hmm. then you start to feel guilty about retiring at all. And so that there's a whole bunch of emotional things that go on in that last five years before retirement. Um, that really, as we start to uncover and have those conversations filter into how we really start to design that retirement income plan. Um, you know, and sometimes it does, it, it does take creating that retirement smile where we, you know, give them a bigger budget at the beginning of retirement because they just, they can't see themselves in a lower lifestyle going into retirement that the, that point of life where we're supposed to be, you know, enjoying ourselves and having fun and doing all the things that we've dreamed about our whole life. And then you can't do them because, you know, we have to go and, and use a, a, a strategy that just isn't built that way. Yeah. Gotcha. So and ultimately there's, there's a, so I've maybe just simply said with the research on this, have you ever had a case where maybe last year the, the couple or household spent a hundred thousand dollars last year's inflation rate was 5%. So let's do the calculation there this year. It looks like you could spend $105,000 uh, maybe and maybe you're not even getting into the issue of adapting to what's gone on in the financial markets. Maybe you got an average market return as well. Is that ever coming up? Or I, I think maybe what might be more common as well is people latch on more to the nominal spending numbers so that if I spent $100,000 last year, I'll spend the same amount this year. I won't worry about having an inflation adjustment. And, and then ultimately as well, when do the raises come in if markets are doing well, or when do the cuts come in if markets are doing poorly? And it's probably not applying one of the precise uh, spending rules that various financial advisors have developed, but but how do those conversations actually go in, in practice? If you're looking for more personal advice, please note that our show is sponsored by McLean Asset Management. Learn more at McLeanAM.com. That's M-C-L- E-A-N-A-M dot com. McLean Asset Management is a wealth management firm where we help you design and implement the right retirement plan for you. Curious if you should be looking at a Roth conversion or what a Roth conversion even is? Head over to McLeanAM.com slash Roth to get McLean's free ebook, Is a Roth Conversion Right for You? And learn about when you might want to do a Roth conversion and when you might not. Just head over to McLeanAM.com slash Roth to download your free ebook today. Yeah, I mean, in, in practice, very few times have I ever discussed any kind of inflation adjustment or any kind of, you know, program spending cuts or raises. Um, it really just goes into, you know, as, as we have our quarterly meetings or our annual meetings, it's, you know, how are you guys feeling? How's your, how's your lifestyle? How are things going? Um, are you happy or are you not happy? Do we need to adjust your spend goals? Um, and people will tell you like, no, I'm, I'm really good. Like we had a great year. Things were great. You know, I really had a good time, you know, markets are down, but I see my plan is okay. Like I'm, I'm okay. Like, I, mm -hmm. you know, and it's our job then to say, okay, does it make sense to continue to use the same spend goal, uh, as markets are down 20, 30%, whatever they are. Um, are they, is, is that still, you know, is, is our plan still working as we use those same goals when markets are not cooperating? And, and again, this is in total return, um, where we're completely relying on the market portfolio to do its to do the job of creating the spending for us. Um, and two, are you comfortable? Like, how has this been? How has, you know, how has 2022 been for you? Like, this has been a really rough ride. You know, bonds are down, stocks are down, everything's down. How are you guys feeling? And some people go, oh my God, this is crazy. Like, I don't want to be in this anymore. Like, help me out of this total return. And some people are like, yeah, that's great. It's going to come back. It's fine. Um, so it really is just, it's uncovering the stones and really diving into the emotional side of how are things, how, how has this year treated you? Interesting. So I, I get the sense then, and, and you said it, so there, there aren't any, you know, uh, systematic raises built in based on inflation and the like, which you know, this is at the core of many of these most of the sustainable, time. yeah, most of the time. Uh, I, I guess Social Security is, you know, covers that to, to some extent. Yeah, you are getting uh, but, that, mm -hmm. that inflation adjustment. Yeah, sure. you are getting it there and it's automated. <laughs> but is it fair to say that if there are changes 
in someone's distribution, it, let's say someone, they say that person is getting 50000 a year, right? And all of a sudden, there's a spending shock. And they come to you with, hey, Brian, I'm going to need an extra 10000 this year because whatever. A wedding, a bar mitzvah, a remodeling. Well, remodeling would be more than 10000 but, you know, that, that, that kind of car. <laughs> so, something like that. And then, effectively, you, you, you put that into the plan. If it works, great. And then the next year, you either maintain it or you don't. But I'm getting the sense that raises don't come across systematically. They come across from a planning perspective. Is, is that a fair comment? Uh, it is. It is. Um, that would be more like bonuses you know, again, as opposed to raises, just, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of times people will tell you, hey, you know, we're bored. We want to take another vacation next year. Plan for ten thousand bucks. We're going to go to Europe, do you know, backpack across Europe or something like that. And and we build those in. You know, our our ask is always, hey, you know, if if you know there are things coming down the line, spending shocks aside, like those things happen. Um, if you know you have a big ticket item coming up, just give us you know six to twelve months. Let's figure it out. Let's make sure it works with the cash flows, um, and we can set aside those in an advantageous way. Versus you know obviously doing it this you know February March when markets are are severely depressed we obviously don't want to do that if we can help it um but the spending shocks are what they are um you know things happen air conditioners break heaters go out like things like that happen um and we have to adjust so so ultimately it seems you can have all of these sustainable withdrawal strategies be it again constant nominal adjusted for inflation standard percentages every year from the portfolio with certain guardrails but ultimately I think those are initial starting points, and this could be too strong of a phrase. They kind of fall to the wayside in year two, three, and four because planning provides the context of future distributions. And by planning, I mean, you know, you're, you're putting that economic overlay relative to the distribution, and you run a Monte Carlo, which is, you were saying, stochastic, but, you know, let's just say for our listeners, Brian is referring to a Monte Carlo sort of simulation, which we've discussed on previous episodes. And if it results into a number that's economically viable, such as 85% success rate, 86, you know, whatever, then effectively you give them the thumbs up. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm generalizing, but that seems to be what you're talking about in terms of how you interpret these sort of rules. Uh, I agree with that. Okay. And a lot of times, you know, the, the, I think on paper, the 4% rule is great. The, the, the guardrails are great. They all make a lot of sense. Uh, academically, they make sense. But in the real world, you know, to your point, the spending shocks happen. Um, and that kind of blows everything apart, right? You're still, you're not going to get, you're not going to get a raise on top of, you know, a good market return. You're going to get a raise in spending when you had a 10 or 15 or $20,000 oops that, that showed up out of nowhere that you weren't expecting. Right. So, it, it's great to model those things out. It's great to have a benchmark where we know we're okay if we do X, Y, and Z. Um, but in the reality, like life happens fast and it happens all the time, which is why we have, you know, meetings basically every, at least once a year, just to figure out where things are and what's going on. Just because life changes, our goals change, what we are enjoying changes, you know, everything changes. And so having a, a strategy that you put in place for 30 years, <laughs> doesn't necessarily work in practice. Yeah. So are you upset that you spent all those time studying about all these uh, sustainable withdrawal <laughs> rates <laughs> and all of that? Yeah. Well, you know, Wade's curriculum in the RICP, were you like afterwards? Or uh, better said in another way, while you were studying this, what was your thinking? If, if anything at all, were you thinking, okay, I'm going to have clients and this is how we're going to do this. I like this spending strategy best. This is going to be my go-to you know, and then was there a little bit of a of a reality shock in terms of oh, this is really how it works in practice? Um, no, because I think that as conversations come in, as as every new client and every new relationship that you start working with, you're able to see things from all yeah, different quick. angles. Okay. Um, you really can it, when someone comes and says you know says something that off the wall that I know is not going to work. I know why it's not going to work, and I can plug it in through through that lens of what did I learn you know, from Wade and what's, you know, what are the academics saying about X, Y, and Z? I know this isn't going to work, but I'm going to show you why it's not going to work and we're going to explain it. And then we're going to figure out a way around that and figure out how to make it work. Or these are the changes that we need to make to make that work. So no, absolutely not, not disappointed with the education piece at all. Um, <laughs> I, I think, <laughs> I think learning all the different ways to do it, um, 
just made me a better planner because I can see things from different angles. Yeah, perhaps it, it identifies levers that you can pull. It doesn't have to be systematic levers as they're presented, you know, in terms of taking an exam. But the reality is, you know what right. levers you can pull from. I, what do you think, Wade? Because uh, you, you create these curriculums. What, what, what's yeah, your balance? Well, it, it's a framework that you won't actually need to follow the rules precisely as they are. But if you kind of base it around one of these decision rules that, uh, as Brian notes, it's you're not going to follow the rule. But what your experience in retirement may approximate the rule in that in some years you might spend more, in other years you might spend less. But the reality is you'll do that in a more ad hoc fashion. And maybe after the fact, it does look like you followed some sort of rule that that's really all the, um, the research is able to do is to provide some sort of parameters around the retirement and a framework for thinking about how you want to approach those distributions. Uh, we certainly don't want the RSP to be an academic exercise and it's meant to be very practical and most advisors do say it is uh, one of the most practical education programs they went through where they can learn something in the same day, apply that with a client. But yeah, I guess at some points the real world is messy and you need a model. <laughs> and that's where the decision rules or other variable spending or any sort of systematic distribution strategy is a model of reality that can give you yeah, some I, idea about reality, but reality is I, always going to be messier. And you said a good phrase. It's a model, and by definition, a model isn't a reflection of reality. It's it's a it's an approximation of it, uh, and and so I I think that's 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 how you should take it. Uh, you know, from a practical standpoint, and you folks can chime in. I mean, we're we're bringing Brian, and to some extent, we're using Brian as a representation of the advisors that are out there. But I don't know offhand. And I've been in this business for quite a while, and I know a lot of advisors, more than I can count, and I don't know any that actually do a straight-up distribution rule, you know, as opposed to doing something along the lines of what Brian said, which is, listen, there's a starting point. It helps us base things on reality, what a, what an approximation is, and then helps us back into a number, and then the, the planning takes over from there. And and I'd love to take you know I, I'd love to find out if if you folks concur maybe there is some advisor in the wild that actually does this and and nothing else but I I'd be hard pressed to find an advisor that follows to the T any of these rules as as the standard thoughts yeah, I, I think it's hard in practice too just because the rules are all assuming this is going to guide your after tax spending but the reality there is you, you have to pay taxes as well and. Taxes can be quite messy and fluctuate quite a bit from year to year. And so if you're talking about pre-tax spending, if you're following like constant inflation adjusted spending for a pre-tax spending goal, it's going to lead to volatile spending post-tax. And that, that in and of itself makes it almost impossible to use a simple spending rule as a, a practical real world guideline. Yeah, Not and, to consider every good- other issue. <laughs> That's a good point. And if you think about this from a payroll standpoint, because you're effectively giving yourself a salary. I mean, right now we're all in our working years and uh, we like the consistency of a paycheck and the amount of that paycheck. And if, if there was obviously you'd like it to trend up, you know, peg to inflation and performance and the like, but you know, that, that aside, it's the same thing in retirement. And, and if it was really jumping up and down, it'd be a tough sort of check to swallow year after year. I, I would think, uh, Brian, I, would you would you think that's correct? Do you think folks like that consistency, even if they're doing a total return approach? I mean, they get the joke from the standpoint that if the market drops and you have five years of negative return just to paint a an un, uh, you know a poor scenario, they know that they may have to accommodate their spending. They may have to adjust their spending to accommodate the the, the reality of their net worth. You know, they, they they know that that's what they signed up for, but by the same token. They still appreciate a consistency of of having a paycheck, uh, uh, the same amount. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's very true. Um, again, going back to people, just don't want variable paychecks. It's it's very it's a very from our conversations, it's a very uncomfortable feeling to think about next year may not look like this year's spending. And I kind of get used to the things that I'm doing, and I kind of get used to my lifestyle. And these are the kind of things that I want and need whether you're going to section that out to, to needs versus wants is another question. 
um, things fall into the wrong bucket sometimes, <laughs> but you know, ultimately they were ultimately we're crafting, you know, retirement to look like what they want it to look like. So if, a, if vacation and travel is not on the needs list, it's on the, or it's not on the wants list, it's on the needs list. Like, so be it. If we can plan for that and make it happen. Great. Um, but those all go into the conversations, you know, if, if the variable piece of that, if markets down 20 and I have to take $10,000 out of your spending and that eliminates a vacation from you, you know, how does that feel? Like, what does it look like for you? Um, and two, I just want to touch on a point too, like from the emotional side, we can, we can build these beautiful, you know, 4% rule, these spending rules, all these beautiful plans, but if it's the wrong strategy and you get into it That's and the point. market does what it did in March, um, of 2020, right? If we're down 20, 30% or we're down, we have a 2022 scenario where we're down, you know, 20% right out of the gate in January uh, and you jump ship, right? That's a, that's a really, really bad outcome. Um, and so it's important to kind of think through all these things beforehand to figure out, you know, is total return right for me or, you know, what mix of stocks and bonds is right for me so that I can actually, I can actually survive this strategy because it is very, very uncomfortable sometimes if you're not prepared for, the volatility of markets. So two points. And that's, I think, where to Alex, to your point where the reset comes in is, you know, really uncovering the stones of the emotional side of, of you know, investing and, and retirement income is what do I need and how do I build this this plan so that I can I can weather the 20, 30, 40 percent downturn of markets and still sleep at night? That's a good point uh, from the standpoint of, you know, within our firm at McLean, look, the reset is a relatively new construct. And so it's not it's not like we've been doing this for five years and every new prospect that came in, we gave them the RISA and we, we put them in the strategy. You know, the reality is five years ago, you know, science moves forward and we, we did, you know, we were predominantly a total return approach uh, wealth management firm. And so we've been having conversations with existing clients and who've been in a total return approach and we give them the RISA. Uh, walk us through that. What happens if, it doesn't have to be uh, it's not a problem until it is kind of conversation. What happens? Forget market turmoil, even if it's in a regular because we've been doing this as part for the course as, as clients come in for their reviews, giving them the reset. What happens if somebody is in a total return approach and all of a sudden you realize, hey, this person is actually more gravitating towards an income protection and we should layer that in to that strategy? What, what's the reaction? Um, it's been a mixed bag. Um, obviously, you know, when you're, when you introduce new concepts and new thinking, there's, there's always going to be some pushback and some, you know, why now kind of thing. Um, but it really is, it, it's been amazing to see people's reaction to the plan itself. When you look at mitigating downside risk and mitigating longevity risk, when we're using things like annuities or time segmentation to kind of offset some of the volatility, um, and we can obviously dive into the weeds of what those two things are. Oh, well, we have um, different arcs for that, right? Wait. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> or later yeah, episodes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, um, wait, there's more. But it's been interesting. We've had, we've had quite a few clients that have said, hey, you know, I really like the idea of a, of a risk wrap or uh, a safety first kind of thing. Let's look at, you know, can we take a look at our bonds and see, you know, is there is there a place to add, you know, an annuity instead of some of these bonds? And, and how does that look? And what is that going to do for me? Um, and they've, some have really liked it and some have not so much. Um, and we've gone different directions with different clients, but uh, it's, it's very, it's been very eye opening on both sides to see reactions to the reset and the reset results and, you know, seeing how they are now starting to open up, uh, to the idea of retirement income and what that really means versus, you know, Hey, give me some money out of my stock portfolio. It's done well. You know, what is that? You know, great. What's that going to do? So is it still going to work? Um, and it really just kind of defines the context of retirement income and gives them, you know, something to, to grasp onto. Like, I know where my spending is coming from. I know what my social security now looks like. I know what my guaranteed income piece looks like. I know what my, my volatile piece looks like. So it, it's been a really, really good experience. Um, it's been a, 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 I don't want to say a steep learning curve, but, um, the introduction to some of the clients has been really, really good and really, really welcome. Um, and we spent a lot of time on the implementation, really figuring out how to, you know, take that total return portfolio and and transform it into a way that that people a can I guess tolerate that have been in it for 30, 40 years, um, and b make it to where they see the benefit of what we're trying to do. And and the reason I brought that up because I, I want to kind of un, under the under the water bring up that it's not just about portfolio market volatility risk tolerance; it's about 
taking longevity aversion off the table, taking spending shocks off the table, yep. which are these new risks that you have in retirement. And and, and thank you for sharing it because, yeah, you know, some folks we did have total return and and it, it, it was in our best interest just to make sure that things are reconciled before it can become an issue. Uh, you want to be proactive exactly. on that. Uh, wait, I, I'd, I'd, I'd like to talk about and, and chime in as well, Brian, but I, I know Wade loves looking at, you know, you, you, know, you, you hang out in the Vanguard, uh, you know, uh, chat groups and, and things like that. Uh, I don't know what your alias is. I think it's uh, Wade File One. No, I'm just, I'm actually Wade. <laughs> oh, you're actually Wade. Uh, and because one of the things I, I wanted to take away for folks listening in, especially the do it yourselfers, is I, I get a sense there's way too much conversation about the intricacies of these sustainable withdrawal strategies. Like way too much. I, I, as much as they talk about what's the risk premium going forward, they talk about what's the actual withdrawal rate that's safe going forward or, or mm-hmm. you know, all these levers that, that, that they create. I just think there's a lot of chatter in that with regards to what, what is actually done in reality. And, I, and look, look, this is best practices. What we, you just heard Brian say, it's, it's contextualized to the plan. It, no one follows this, this thing robotically, year five, six, seven, eight, nine. And so what advice would you give to folks that, that maybe, you know, at the risk of coming across as, you know, whatever, uh, what's, the, what's the advice you would give to consumers that are listening, that are do-it-yourselfers, that are really potentially over-engineering these things? It's a good question, Alex, and it's I'm certainly guilty of this too in terms of over-engineering what's the safe withdrawal rate and everything else. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's not no one's going to mechanically follow those rules. You're you're going to spend what you want to spend, and you want to have a sense of whether you're on a sustainable track, and you can inform that with some of the models and spreadsheets that you create. But at the end of the day, it's if you want to spend an extra $500 and the spreadsheet says, no, that you're, you've gone outside of your guardrail, you might go ahead and do what you want to do and, and make an adjustment later if necessary. Don't, don't be the uh, victim of just following the spreadsheet too much. Don't overdo it with some of that analysis. And Brian, does anyone come to you with these preconceived notions or, you know, stick to the question? What, what advice would you give to folks? I think the, I think the quote, and don't, don't quote me on this quote, but I'd rather be <laughs> vaguely right. I'd rather be vaguely right than precisely wrong. Yeah. That was Wade who coined that. I think, by I think that's, a, I think that's about, I think that's about in the ballpark. Um, some of the things I've seen, there's just, there's paralysis by analysis. There's so much information and there's so much stuff out there and you get bogged down in withdrawal rates and then you get bogged down in the investment side and then you get bogged down. I mean, it, I've seen some micromanagement of, of the portfolio down to just, I mean, to pennies and it, it, it really doesn't, it really doesn't matter. It, it's more of, am I in the ballpark? Like way to your point, is it $500 more than what I'm trying to spend? Is that really going to kill me? Can you save five hundred dollars off your spend goal next year to, to offset that, or do you even need to? Like those, those the minutiae is where people get lost in this, uh, and that's where errors happen. Um, a lot of times, you know, the portfolios get adjusted because I have a hunch, or because you know someone on you know pick your network said this and that about the economy. It, it it's so much noise out there in all aspects of the financial planning realm and the investment management realm that it's it, it really is it's it's understanding what you're trying to do with this financial plan. What do these numbers really mean? What is the strategy trying to do, you know, at the core of it? And then just working around it at the margins. I mean, that's, that's really the, the best advice I can give is just, you know, don't get caught up in the, in the, the minutia of yeah. the actual strategy from an academic standpoint. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think getting caught up in the, what's the optimal sustainable withdrawal rate is not too dissimilar. And wait, I'm thinking about this as I'm, as I'm saying this, which I often do. So, Please correct me if I'm off with this analogy, guys, but it's almost like creating a portfolio. And what I mean by that, and I, I'm sure Bob would agree, the biggest decision you're going to make <laughs> is your stock to bond allocation. 
it, it's wait did you think i was gonna say the market doesn't know your retirement or something like that no 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 i thought <laughs> you're right i'm sure bob will agree with me i thought was gonna no, be bob says this a lot. oh no 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 well and that really happens by the way but no no he says this a lot i mean and, and i agree the biggest decision you make is what's your stock to bond allocation right and so that's akin to what strategy are you going to engage in total return income protection uh risk wrap or time segmentation you know that that that, that what strategy you want to engage is it's kind of like okay what's your stock to bond allocation because from an investment portfolio standpoint stock to bond allocation is the big one right but then people get caught up in okay now within that within my equity allocation okay what's domestic what's international what's REIT? what's small cap value what's large cap value do i put technology stocks do I do, you know they 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 over optimize that portfolio for that perfect, you know, risk return scenario. When the reality is, listen, once you got the stock to bond allocation down, yes, you, you get a healthy slug of everything. And although the phrase healthy slug doesn't seem scientific, that's kind of as good as it gets, you know? <laughs> and I, I think that's very similar in terms of these distribution strategies. Once you decide, okay, total return is my wheelhouse, you've kind of accomplished a lot. In terms of going forward, whether you want to do the guardrail that has a 10% drawdown versus a 5% drawdown versus a 3% drawdown, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, I'm not so sure that's in your best interest. You know, it's good as a starting point and get a framework, as Wade was saying, but, you know, you know, if you love spreadsheets, then knock yourself out, but know what you're getting into. Would you say that? Am I on track there, Wade? I just said that off the cuff, but that's kind mm-hmm. of what I was thinking about while I was listening to Brian talk. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a parallel uh, universe of over-engineering your asset allocation and over-engineering your withdrawal strategy. And at the end of the day, you can simplify both. Right? No, I agree. Um, and again, going back to the noise, there's so many people out there screaming from all different sides. You know, is it active? Is it passive? Is it ETFs? <laughs> is it mutual funds? Is it picking stocks? Is you know, what's the most efficient way to create these return streams? Like, it, honestly, like, I mean, there's, you, as long as you're not getting caught up in doing crazy things and, and timing markets and trying to do things because, you know, you hear them on TV, you know, the, the 60, 40, 50, 50, whatever portfolio mix you're talking about with stocks and bonds, you're probably going to be okay. You know, is it, it, it really is, is, is people get caught up in trying to do the most optimal thing to your point, Alex, that, that's where you really get run aground is you're trying to do all these things at all different times. And it just doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. You can simplify it down and focus on the planning and just make sure that the, the, the engine of this boat is, you know, the equity piece that's going to drive the returns. You know, that's where things need to be put in place correctly. And the bonds are there to control the ups and downs. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. And I know we're nearing on uh, 45 minutes and well, we're past that. And that's kind of waiting our queue to kind of see if we can put a bow on this thing. But uh, you said it again, and, and I agree. The plan, you know, this is good. What we just, all the previous podcasts that we had in this arc, it's good for the framework to how to think about this and a sort of a sanity check. And there, and knowing what levers you can pull if need be. But this preordained sort of systematic withdrawal rate, that, that just doesn't reconcile with reality. What does reconcile with reality is contextualizing it to the plan. We spent one or two episodes just talking about the funded ratio as that initial plan and how the funded ratio, if you're going through the, if it's total return, if that's your calling, if that's your style, then a Monte Carlo plan can provide a nice reality check on an ongoing basis if you're on track or not. That's what I would want to, that's what I would want all everyone listening in to come away with, not trying to memorize all of these and picking the perfect one for them in terms of these sustainable withdrawal strategies, but 8,000 feet in there, this is kind of how you should be looking at it. That, that's my uh, sort of parting thoughts there. Wade and Brian, just to take us home, you want to give yours? Yeah, I guess that, that's a good theme for the podcast to so just, you know, reflect reality. And there's some broad levers to think about. Do you, are you someone who wants to front load your spending or back load your spending, which means maybe you will be more aggressive early on, uh, understanding that there may be cuts along the way. Uh, how much volatility are you willing to accept for your annual spending? How much adjustments do you want to potentially make in an average market environment versus good versus bad? 
And that might help you to develop some structure around how your spending will evolve. But then, yes, indeed, the reality is look at what you're wanting to do if it's within the realm of what's feasible (laughs) based on the framework. That should be enough, and you should feel comfortable doing that. You shouldn't have to uh, be concerned about, well, spending too much, a little bit too much, or a little bit less than what you were targeted to spend as well. Brian, and you thought we weren't going to get past 20 minutes, huh? (laughs) (laughs) No, I I agree with both those takes. Um, It's it's finding the right thing for you that makes you comfortable, that, you know, plays within the bandwidth of what you have and where you're going. And, you know, it's kind of kind of live there and, and, again, work around the margins and it's going to be okay. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening in. Uh, That concludes today's episode. Yeah, thank you, Brian Bass from McLean Asset Management for joining us. And and thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah, Brian, thanks a lot, man. And obviously, guys, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, we're going to have you on on future episodes, man. Looking forward to it. Bye. Wade and Alex are both principals of McLean Asset Management and retirement researcher. Both are SEC registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results. 